So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tonight. Um, remember that Paul wrote this in the mid-50s. He had, he had wrote it from Ephesus on his third journey. He had established the church at Corinth about 51 on his second journey. Uh, he had had a, a string of successes and frustration. He had started churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea that got run out, came to Athens. Don't know if he really got a church going, but had a few converts, got run out, came to Corinth, had a lot of success, was there a long time. And uh, you'd think that the church would just really be healthy and strong. You had Paul. You know, Paul established you and he taught you for 18 months. And yet, uh, this time the church is just in chaos. They were splitting apart. That was the main problem with the church is just they, they had because the culture was so different, they all came from such different backgrounds. They just never got on, fully got on the same page. They all had kind of different agendas, and, and they learned at different rates, and there wasn't someone there steadily teaching them. And so they just began to splinter apart. And part of the problem uh, for Paul was that there was a large number of them that questioned his authority and his apostolic credentials. And some of them said, well, Paul may have found this, so we don't need to listen to Paul. He wouldn't even one of the original apostles or whatever. He's not that good a speaker. So not only is Paul trying to write a letter to get them where they need to be, he's got to start off by just reestablishing his really apostolic authority and authenticity. And, uh, and he deals that, does that in these first few chapters, dealing and battling this concept of wisdom. Um, to, to the Greeks, and most of the believers were Greeks, were Jews, and Jews valued the word, the, the word of God, the speaking of God, they valued wisdom. It's a little bit different. The Greeks, the Greeks uh, just valued this sense of right knowledge, and, and, and they loved great speakers, and Paul wasn't a great speaker. And th- th- they valued things that were kind of the opposite of Paul. And uh, so Paul is, is just dealing with this. And so we come to chapter 2. And Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come, notice this, with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. So when I came, he's talking about when he first came. Paul came out of a tough battle. He left Athens. He's by himself. You know, all his guys were back dealing in, in, in Thessalonica, Berea area there. They got to him eventually. He came. He, he met a few people. He started off in Corinth. He had some success, and they kicked him out of the synagogue. He said, but I didn't come as a superior speaker, and I didn't come with superior wisdom. That's not when he came. He didn't, Paul says, when I came, I didn't try to dazzle you with the eloquence of my speech, nor did I try to con you into thinking I was some great philosopher or someone with all this great wisdom. What I simply did is proclaim or announce to you the testimony of God. The word testimony is interesting here. It's not really the normal word that we might think of. Uh, it's kind of the same word, verse 7, is the word mystery. It's, it's the idea of something, but mysterious, what it is, it's something that you don't know that you will know. It's something that God reveals to you. So what he's really saying is, I came to proclaim something that the Lord might reveal to you, that you would know that. He says, I determined to know nothing among you, notice this, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Paul now gets to the heart of what he taught them. He came and he taught them Jesus, the Jesus of the cross, the death, the resurrection, all that it means, the substitutionary atonement, the sacrifice, the fact that he atoned for our sins, all of those things he taught them. And he didn't do it trying to flatter them. Paul was a meat and potatoes kind of speaker. 
I think it's important, you know, in, in the culture we live in, and you, you get caught sometimes between things. Everybody likes a really good speaker. It's, I'll be honest, it's, I'd much rather listen to someone who's really good than someone who's boring. Uh, I, I enjoy listening to Andy Stanley. I, I'll take an hour of Andy Stanley over 15 minutes of someone that's just as dry as can be. I, uh, I, I know I this may, well, y'all aren't the background to that too. I find, I find, I find John Piper boring. You know, I know he's brilliant. I'd rather have 20 minutes, and Andy Stanley's brilliant. I'd rather have 20 minutes of Andy Stanley than 10 minutes of John Piper, to be honest. I know in the world I live in, it's, that's really sacrilege, I guess. Uh, but I just find, I, I, I like, I enjoy and learn more. And it's all that way. At the same time, you don't want somebody who's, who's just, you know, cute and fancy and, and all that stuff. You know, it, it's it's fine line. You, you got to be engaging, and I know, and I struggle with that. You know, you know, I, I, I don't want to be monotonous and boring. I don't want to be flippant, you know, and, 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 and I usually, you know, I, and I, you just got to be who you are. That's what Paul is saying. You just got to be who you are. And, you know, I, nothing, I hate when I go to another church, you know, and I'm, and I'm going to worship, and the, and the preacher becomes all preacher-esque and uses all these terms that no one uses and, and just is all cliches and, and all this stuff. And he manipulates me, tries to manipulate me to get somewhere. It drives me nuts. Just be who you are. And uh, that's, that's an important thing for all of us. It's important for you when you're dealing with people. Don't get, if you're not at all spiritual, don't get all spiritual. I mean, I'm, I'm not an all-spiritual guy. I'm just guy, you know, from South Texas. I have a lot of slang terms. I have a lot of terms that aren't slang. Probably shouldn't say necessarily. You know, it's just who I am. And, and, and you know, I, I try to be real with people and connect the best way that I can. I do that when I preach to y'all. You know, I try to be funny because you know, I'm a sarcastic guy, you know, and that's who I am. And so I did, it comes out. You, you got to be who you are. And Paul's telling them, you you're missing out on the most important thing. I preach to you, Jesus. I think as a church, we forget that the number one thing we have to preach is the cross of Christ. And we do that. Here's what happens in church life. And I, and I get this. We stop getting guests to our churches. Not us, necessarily. We, we, it becomes mostly us. And so we start preaching what us want to hear. And we start doing stuff that matters to us. And I've said this before, a lot of preachers are just flat lazy. And they just want to, and they preach lazy stuff. And they forget the importance that people need to hear. As a follower of Christ, I love to hear good preaching about Jesus. When, it, when, when, I, when we're doing our Connect group, and, you know, and, I, and we do the video, we, I, I mean, I do it because it's just, and I follow along. I like, to, I like to go to those series where they talk about Jesus. I like the Bible series, the book series, you know, if I don't care what book. I don't, I don't really care much about the series that tell me how I can get to know myself and how I can grow in my faith and how I can be good in my prayer life. I just like to hear the Bible because I can learn all that from the books of the Bible, too. I, I found that if I read about prayer from when Jesus prayed, I learn about prayer. This up. Uh, this week is the eighth Sunday of our impact campaign. Next week's nine. And it's important, and I've enjoyed doing it. But I got to tell you, nine weeks of this for me as the preacher, I'm getting tired of it, man. I'm today looking, oh, Lord, we, you know, this, is my, this is my major sermon prep day. I got this. I'm ready. October, I'm preaching the authentic Jesus. I'm looking forward to that. And then in December, November, I'm taking off. So you got all the other guys. And then December, I'm preaching Christmas. 
like that. And then January through April, 17 weeks, the Gospel of Mark. Not, not verse by verse, but I'm going to get all of, lot of in there. I'm looking forward to that. I enjoy preaching about Jesus. Partly because lost people need to hear about Jesus. And on Sunday mornings, this isn't Wednesday nights, it's not it. Sunday mornings, we get a lot of what we call unchurched, underchurched, and dechurched. The people who don't go to church are, they don't go to church very often, don't learn anything, or they quit going to church at one time. And you know really what they need? They don't need, I know creation's important, and I, and I touch on that, and I preach on it once in a while, but they don't need that. And I know Christ coming again matters, but if they're lost, it ain't going to help them. So what do they need? They need the cross of Christ. And when you deal with people in your life and you pray for them, they don't need you to try to explain to them the rapture because the truth is you don't know anything about the rapture. You think you do. But if you came to our deep fry, you found out you probably don't because I don't know anything about it. And that's not saying because I don't, you don't. We just, just Listen, is there a rapture? Yeah. When's it going to happen? When Jesus comes. That's good. Don't do them any good if they're lost. Paul says, man, I just wanted them to know Jesus Christ crucified. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. When, when he came from Acts, he wasn't in a good place. There was a tough time in his ministry. Listen, as a pastor, many times in my life, my 41 years, 90 times since I've been here, but I've been in some tough places, and it was hard. And you know what he did? He said, I just keep preaching. He said, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. And I didn't try to come trying just to use flowery speech. That was one of the criticisms probably against him. He said this, but in demonstration of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and the power, I came in the power of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of that. Now, some things that might mean he came with miracles, and they did do some miracles back then, but it probably, I, I tend to, to always go with the more basic and conservative approach of understanding things. I think it means this, this. When I preached, I did it in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I let the power of the Holy Spirit do its job. I didn't try, I didn't try to hook you on the fanciness of my speaking. I tried simply to let the Holy Spirit do the work. Amen. That word power speaks of the raw ability. The Holy Spirit has a power and ability none of us happens. In this passage, in chapter 2, he just speaks of the Spirit a lot. He's trying to say it's the Spirit that guides us. We, I know, especially as Baptists, we don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. And that's not his job. The Holy Spirit points to, to the Creator, the Father, and to the Savior. That's His will. Scripture tells us that. He comes so that we might know more about Jesus. That's what, that's what the Holy Spirit does. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, the functionality, the job of the Spirit is to point to the other. But everything we do as a church is with the power of the Holy Spirit. When we sing, and if you're blessed, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. When you make a decision or a commitment in church, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It is always the power of the Holy Spirit 
We have to remember that. So he says, so that your faith, oh, that's a beautiful word, would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And this is the real issue. The issue so often in the New Testament is that people went with the wisdom, the teaching, the philosophy, the imagination of men and women, right? men at that time. It's supposed to be the Spirit. Now, um, when I taught you First John last spring, I, I, I mentioned that because it's written late in the first century, there was this thing called Gnosticism that had crept in. There's a lot of debate on when Gnosticism came. Some say it didn't come until the second century. Some say, no, it came as early as like Paul. It, it, it really started coming towards the end of the first century, by all accounts. It, it, you, you re- to say that First John doesn't deal with Gnosticism, and Gnosticism, and some of you are new, Gnosticism was just a teaching that all of a sudden done, you're saved by the right knowledge. Not, it was a whole, it's a complicated system. But for our purposes right now, you, if you have the right knowledge, which they never tell you what it is, that is what saves you. And they don't even believe in salvation. They denied the cross. They denied the deity or the humanity of Jesus, one or the other. It, that was it. But it was about Gnosis knowledge. There's, there, but there's always been elements of Gnosticism in human philosophy and life. It is always what we know. And you see that today. You see people, you know what I hate? I hear hearing someone's an expert. Especially when it comes to the faith. Oh, so-and-so, he's a New Testament expert. She, this lady over here, she's an expert in early Christian myth. Early Christian myth? You're an expert, you make that up. That's the myth. I mean, I, you hear this stuff, and I hate that. Because they're trying to say, listen to me. At the end of the day, the stuff in the New Testament, that's pretty good stuff. If you got one of those with red letters, that's really good. You ought to go with that. And, and the thing about it, Paul says, your faith. Verse 5 says, so that your faith. That word so that, it, it translates this little Greek word, henna. And I've told you a hundred times, henna is all of a little clause. It speaks either of purpose or result. Here, it, 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 they always debate back and forth what it means. Is it purpose or result? The purpose and result tends to end up being the same concept. This is what happens. Your faith isn't dependent on men. Oh, by the way, all of paganism is dependent on men. All false religion is dependent on men. He said yours is on the power, the raw ability of God. You know what I always tell you that, about your faith, that your faith comes from God? That God gives you the faith that you exercise? That's because faith comes from the power of God. We don't create our faith. We don't come up with our I mean, How many times I heard it? God supplies the grace, we supply the faith. No. God supplies the grace. God supplies the faith. And you exercise the faith he gives you, yes, but you didn't come up with faith. I didn't come up with my faith. If it was up to me, I wouldn't have wanted faith because I was dead, Paul says in, in, in Ephesians, in my trespasses and sin. You know what dead people don't do? They don't come up with faith. It's the power of God. And isn't that great? Isn't it better to say my salvation rests on the power of God? I was speaking some other day about the security of salvation, about why I believe that we can't lose our salvation. And I said it's very simple because I didn't save me. Jesus saved me. 
How can I undo what Jesus did? Now, and we always hear about someone who commits apostasy or does this, blah, blah, blah. It may be that the person wasn't ever saved. I grant you that. You can't lose what you don't have. I had a debate with someone one time. He described this person. I said, brother, they were never saved to begin with. Because my salvation isn't based on me. It's on the power of God. God saves me. Saved for eternity. Yeah. And if I lose something, then that means that salvation occurs. That means I didn't really have it. I was depending on me to begin with. Verse 6. I was hoping to get through the whole chapter. I don't think I will. We do not speak wisdom among those who are mature. Some, excuse me. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. So we do speak a form of wisdom. Now, he says this wisdom, though, or to those who are mature. The word mature comes from a family of, a Greek family of words, telos, which means to come to an end, to complete when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says in Matthew 5, 48, be perfect because your heavenly Father is perfect, that's the word. You see this used a lot of times. It's a beautiful, it's a versatile word. Maturity uh, to, to completion. It means to get to the point where you need to be. You've come to the end of the journey. You have completed the task. It, doesn't mean, it never means that you were sinless. And the word perfect is tough because perfection, we hear the idea of sinlessness. Maturity is the right word. You know, <laughs> you can be mature and sometimes not act mature, you know. You ever see a group of old guys get together and all of a sudden, and old women too, by the way, they do the same thing. They just do it quietly. But old guys get together and, and they're cutting up like they're 16 still, you know. And you think, my goodness, man, act your age, you know. And uh, that's because maturity, and Tony, I wasn't talking, y'all are looking at each other like I'm talking, this is the one time I wasn't talking about you, because I never think of you as being mature. And uh, <laughs> so, see, you just set me up, and, and I'm not going to let that go. <laughs> I don't have many spiritual gifts, but that's one of them, but I did. <laughs> so mature people still sin. They still make mistakes. But there's, but there's a sense of being where they need to be. Paul says, you know, guys, part of the reason he doesn't deal with wisdom with the Corinthians is they're not really mature yet, as evidenced by the behavior splitting apart. If they were mature, they wouldn't be breaking into different groups. He says, but I, I deal with spiritual wisdom. I, I seek people who have spiritual wisdom. <laughs> I've said before, all, almost all my mentors have died. One's left. He, he's kind of old. And when I call to talk to him, he just says, I don't understand the church today and where you, I'm paraphrasing, where you're at. I can't help you. I'm like, good to know. You're now useless as a mentor. <laughs> Love you. I hope you do well. You know. So the task is to find people who have the wisdom of God. And so Paul says, I have that for you. I speak it. It's the wisdom, however, that's not of this age, nor the ruler of this age. They're passing. The wisdom I have is different than the world. Now, the term ruler of this age, it's a little problematic. Some think it speaks of demons, but contextually, it just doesn't make sense. 
Because as you read on, he describes them. He says, the rulers of this age, they're passing away. Demons don't pass away. So it's the idea among, especially Greeks and others, was that the rulers that had wisdom, the older, the leaders, there was a certain amount of sagacity of knowledge. He says, it's not that kind. He says in verse 7, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. It's the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages of our glory. The wisdom we had comes from God only. It's a mystery in the sense that the average person can't know it. But God begins to reveal it. He begins to make it known, to unveil it so we can have it. As I get older and I, and I study Scripture, I find, I find myself learning things all the time. I'll read a passage. And I'm like, wow. I was, I was preparing some stuff today for Sunday. And I was just like, wow. I never thought of that. I, I never saw it that way, God. I mean, that, 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 you opened up my eyes to something that I haven't seen before. And, and God does that. But not if you don't pour yourself into understanding what he has to say. He says, this wisdom, and I love this, God predestined before the ages to our glory, before there was any time for our glory. By this he means so that we can have glory in him, so that we can, we can understand he predestined that. He, he determined beforehand this is how it should be. It's amazing how many times in Scripture speaks of God predestined or, or doing something beforehand creation. And I know that so many people get so hung up on predestination and predestined. And we almost always think of it in terms of salvation, which is a large part of it. Let me just explain this to you. If you believe that God knows all things, then he knew all things before all things became all things. And you better figure out how to get comfortable with the fact that everything is under the control of God and not us. And one of the biggest things, the most pagan things that I hear is coming from people talking about the power of Satan and the struggle that may God may have. Listen, Satan has a power that God allows him to have. He gave it to him, and he allows him to keep it. And when it's right, like that, he'll take it away. But God has all power. And nothing, nothing thwarts the power, the mind, and the will of God. And he determined before anything happened, how he was going to reveal wisdom to us. We don't get to make that determination. And if you want to know how to get that wisdom, well, start studying the scriptures. That helps. That's where it is. I get it. You go to the bookstore, and there's a lot of popular authors. I understand. But if what you do basically is read what you pull off the bookshelves of whatever bookstore you go to. You're reading things written at less than a sixth grade level. And what you're reading is mostly milk. Now, i got some books you can read at a much higher level. They're boring. The best thing you can do 
is read the Bible and pray through the Bible. And when you're stumped, you have resources. And I don't mean Wikipedia. Come to one of us. I'd be careful who you come to, but you can come to one of us and step so I'll help you through it. There are other places you can go. You may know people. There's, there's a, there is a vast array of resources available for you. But your primary knowledge about Jesus and your primary growth as a follower of Christ should come from you reading the Bible. Because that's why it was given. And all those people you read about basically read the Bible. And what they're telling you is what they think. And the truth is, I don't care what they think. I want to know what Jesus said. Paul wrote, that matters. Verse 8, but the wisdom which none of those rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. One commentator, I just said read the Bible, I'm telling you, I read a commentator. I still read commentator. Tell him, read it without the right or wrong. But he started, he started reminding us of all those rulers. Caiaphas, Jewish rulers, Herod, Pilate. They were supposed to be the rulers of that age, back when Christ. But they didn't understand what wisdom, because if they had an ounce of wisdom, they would have never have crucified the Lord of glory. Think about it. I say this all the time. Don't take spiritual advice from people who aren't spiritual. Don't take advice about how to live as a follower of Jesus from people who aren't followers of Jesus. I never do that. I never listen to people who don't have an experience with Christ that leads them to meaningful worship. Tell me how to worship if you get my drift. I don't let them tell me how to live as a follower of Christ, whoever they may be. Because their wisdom doesn't come from God. Just as it is written, and this is kind of a loose quotation from Isaiah 64.4. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. God has the wisdom no man could ever perceive. And I got to book it. Verse 10 says this, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. The word revealed is the word apocalypse, the revelation, the revealing of God. God is the one who reveals. No one, under, no one self-reveals it. No one discovers. God reveals. And He does it always through the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is the one who wrote the Scriptures. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. The Spirit of God knows the depth of God. Then he uses this illustration. Who among men knows the thoughts of the man except the Spirit of the man, and who is in him? So, even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. No one knows your thoughts but you. Aren't you glad? No one knows what I think, and I am so thankful. When I preach on Sundays and I look at the congregation, I'm so thankful. They don't know what I'm thinking about some of them. I am the only one who knows. So it is with God. No, who knows the Spirit of God? People who say they have a special insight into God, the, the, today all those people who, and I, you know, who, who are prophets of God, who God reveals things to, no, they doesn't. He reveals it through the Scriptures. 
The Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures. The Holy Spirit helps us understand what he wrote. Someone who bypasses the scriptures to go straight to God to give some knowledge and revelation are false teachers. Every so often I have someone come up and ask me some stuff about, do we do this or do we do that? And I say, no. I don't tell you what this or that is. It doesn't matter. I said, we just let the New Testament and the Old Testament dictate what we do. And that person you're mentioning or that process you're mentioning isn't really of God. And then they leave. Verse 12 says, we have received not the spirit of the world, that's beautiful, but the spirit who is from God that we may know the things fully given to us by God. Paul says, you're acting like the world. That's where you came from. You came from that paganism. We don't have that spirit. That's not what we received. When I preach to you, that's not what you received. You received the spirit of God. You can know the things God What's this word? Freely is given. Freely is given. There's no cost. There's no price. Freely you can have it. Then verse 13 says this, which things we also speak. Not in words taught by, taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. And then this is a very difficult phrase in the Greek, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Paul says this, all those things I told you about, that's what we speak about what God has revealed through the Spirit. I didn't come to you with clever words. I didn't come to you from a pagan background. I came to you to speak the Spirit of God, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what you have. If you are abandoning it, he says, I combine the spiritual with the spiritual. (laughs) And that's what he's saying is, That which is the mind of God in Christ by the Spirit is what I brought to you. So when all this group of people and all their wisdom is splitting apart, they are departing from the truth. Churches who go through battles and fights are always departing from the truth. You're going to have disagreements, fine. Maybe a group needs to go off and start a new church. And you can do it in a loving, peaceful way. There's nothing wrong with that. It happens all the time. A group says, hey, I think we're going to go start a new church. And, okay, it'd be peaceful. But the battle and the fight, the meanness and the cruelty that happens in churches, that happens because humans abandon the truth that God has and searches their own truth. The battle they fought is the battle churches fight all the time, even to this day. 